0: This morning. We are two weeks into a four week series through John 1, uh, in which through this Christmas season we are exploring uh, the themes of hope, peace, joy, and love, growing in an understanding uh, that these things are defined by God, they are fulfilled by Christ. And they are experienced by a work of the Spirit. And so where have we been? For those of you who may not have been with us uh, over the past few weeks, allow me to uh, take just a few moments to to catch you up. In week one, we drew out from John 1, verses 1 through 18, our sovereign king's incarnation. We're observing what it looks like for um, the word of God to take on flesh and enter into Uh, His creation. We drew out our sovereign king's incarnation and uh, embrace of the rejection of his creation. A creation that, because of what we observe taking place in Genesis chapter 3, where we have been for some time in our normal Sunday rhythm through the book of Genesis, we observe a, a creation without hope because of sin. We observe Uh, a creation that is separated from God because of our rebellion. Our, Our sovereign king enters into the world by way of the incarnation, embracing the rejection of his creation in order to reconcile it to himself. And as a result, we see Christ's Jesus injection of hope into an infinitely desperate story. Last week, we looked at John 1, verses 19 through 29, and the ministry of John the Baptist. A voice crying out in the wilderness, pointing generations of peace seekers towards the Lamb of God. right, right? Jesus, who has come to take away the sins of the world, an idea that we will continue to explore to some degree this morning. In Jesus, we see the one who brings peace between humanity and God, while providing supernatural peace for his people in what are often and otherwise super chaotic and desperate seasons. This is a truth that resonates with us as a broken people in need of being redeemed. Living in a broken world in need of being recreated. Right? We, we feel and we experience all of the um, all of the brokenness and the lack of peace that we see Jesus bring into the world. Coming into to week three, this morning, we will observe how God produces joy. This is our, this is our theme from John 1 as we continue our time. Here this morning, God produces joy. Right? He, he produces joy as eyes are opened to see the glory of Christ. This is what we're going to be talking about. The way that, that God does this, the way that he works this, the way that blind eyes are opened to see Christ's glory. How does this happen? Well, it happens by a miraculous work of Of the Spirit. These are truths that we're going to unpack from John 1, verses 29 through 42 this morning. Our goal is to observe this idea. This is going to be our focus. As we work towards this end, however, it would indeed be most helpful for us to all begin in the same place. It's like we are uh, at this point together this morning running a race, okay? What we want to do as we begin is we want to corporately, together, tow the line. We want to begin in a similar place and with a similar comprehension and understanding. And then, as we begin our time, we'd like to, to run towards this finish line together. So let's begin here. Here's our start line, where we're stepping up and we're, we're towing it, if you will. Let's begin by... Corporately and, and universally conceding this point. That there is an innate desire within each one of us to know and experience joy. Can you, can you get on board with that? Right? That we, we desire joy, that we desire to, to know joy, that we desire to experience joy, whether you're a follower of Jesus and thus must embrace a biblical worldview or you're not, and as a result, you embrace a secular worldview. Either way, you can get behind the idea of experiential joy and your desire for it in your life. The division comes when we begin a conversation as to how this happens. We can all say, yes, joy is indeed desirable, whether you would identify as a skeptic this morning or if you have been walking with the Lord for like 30 years. And we can we can come together and we can gather corporally around this idea. We can all we can all concede it. But how do we how do we know it? how do we how do we feel? Where does it come from? This is where there's oftentimes a split. How do we how do we know joy? How do we? How do we feel joy? Is joy something that we know, or is joy something that we feel? Are joy and feelings and joy and knowledge, like, intimately connected? Are they coupled, or are they separate? One well-known pastor and theologian makes a very interesting statement concerning joy. And I think that it's a statement that I at least initially was a bit uncomfortable with, and I'll explain why. He says that joy, it is a feeling. That joy is a a feeling connected to the human soul. Not superficial, not, not shallow, but deeply connected to a person's being. Now, here's the conversation that I want us to begin having. And this is why I think I was a uh, a little bit uncomfortable initially um, with what I read from him. I think we, Christians, tend to be quick to either, A, be super hesitant when the issue of feelings and the Christian life arise. Or, we become super excited when the issue of feelings and the Christian life arise. Because our tendency is to see our feelings either as God, or totally divorce our feelings from God, neither of which are ultimately desirable. Why? Well, because we we feel the consequences of these decisions and these separations within seasons like this one, right? As we explore themes like hope and peace and joy and love during this Christmas season, feelings that we desire to know and long to feel. We long for hope. We talked about that in week one. We long for it. Our souls desire it. We long for peace. Many of you, over the course of the next few weeks, are going to be visiting family members. Right? And family can be difficult. Right? And we can all agree with that gather around the, the table to enjoy a meal together and everyone is just like in their heart of hearts praying that someone doesn't bring up something super controversial, right? And like the peace that everyone's feeling just like is tossed out the window, right? You guys know this. Like, I'm not unpacking anything. Like your family is not any different than mine, okay? Like we get it. We understand what this is, is like to a certain degree. We long for it. We, we long for joy, and so the question that we need to explore this morning is this. Where does this feeling of joy come from, and what produces joy in us? Again, not on a superficial level, right? but on a, on a deeply spiritual level. Given that we have towed the line, we've said, yes, there is a desire for joy, and now I'm calling you to embrace this idea that joy is something that is actually connected to your soul. It's not shallow, it's not, it's not superficial, but it's something much, much deeper than that. Like one might try to convince you, or, or maybe you're here this morning and you're trying to convince yourself that your joy is dependent on your public position. right? That your, your joy is dependent on your prosperity, not just, not just monetarily, but perhaps socially. right? To, to be rich is to be married. Or, or to be rich is to have the perfect marriage. Right? To be married is to know joy. Perhaps to, to be rich is to be single. Yep, mm-hmm, that's it. To be single. That is how I know joy. Perhaps, perhaps your perception of joy is linked to others' perception of you, right? Like am I am I liked as the world would define it as opposed to approved as God defines it. If I feel if I feel liked, right, if I if I feel accepted, then as a result I have joy. Right? If, I'm a, if I'm a people pleaser right, and everybody is, is pleased, then I feel joy. Only, inevitably, there is that moment in which we realize that, that we have been so busy trying to make everyone else happy that we are not happy, that we are not experiencing joy. We think that that might bring us some sense or degree of joy, only we find out that it doesn't. There's a high probability that if we connect with any of these ideas that we have discussed so far this morning, and we have have realized that we are not experiencing joy, our, our circumstances or environment has changed, and joy then is changed. Our joy is erased. If our joy is dependent on things or others' opinions or certain positions, and those those go through some type of transformation, then inevitably our joy changes. And if this has happened to you, again, there is a high probability that you have either, A, reallocated your expectation for obtainable joy. What does that look like? Well, let's say like this, right? I thought that being married would make me happy. I thought that being married would bring me the joy that my soul longed for. And I still believe that. But now I believe that, that not being married to you and being married to someone else is what will give me joy. Do we see how this works? And we can we can actually trace it through each one of these these previously mentioned ideas. We won't, though, because I think that you I think that you Get the idea. That's the first option. The second is that you have decided perhaps that you will never find joy and you are just totally like willing to camp out there for a moment. What does this look like? I had a conversation with a, a good friend of mine uh, who has a, a son who is in uh, elementary school. And this kid is awesome. I'm not going to give away any names, although some of you may be able to, to, to venture a guess. But we went over to their house for dinner a couple of weeks ago, and um, when we walked in the door, like, we could immediately tell something was a bit off. Like, the there was a tension in the room. Like, you guys, reading room, anybody have the um, the spiritual gift of being able to read a room well? Okay? Like, I feel like I possess that gift. Okay? And walk in, I'm like, there is something in the air here. Like, it's thick, like, it's, it's palpable. What in the world has happened? Well, if you have children, you know exactly like what happened, right? Like, like one child wanted something um, that, that the parents did not desire to see manifest in their life at that particular time and, and moment. And so they told them no, and as a result, like there's was a meltdown, right? And the following statement was made right, from this, this, little, this little boy, right, looking to his dad. Are we good? Is everything okay? To which he says, I will never be happy again. <laughs> right like I'm never I'm never going to be happy right some of us are in here and we we perhaps are connecting with this right like you're like man I'm in a season that is so chaotic and I am in a season with such incredible dysfunction and so much transition that has, has brought me into a, a sphere of, of, of difficulty and a degree of challenge that I am altogether unfamiliar with. And thus, man, I feel as though I will never know joy again. I will I will never I'll never be happy again. God's word calls us out of this. This this idea, right? God's word calls us out of, of this thought. It calls us to abandon this endless searching, to reject the line that you will never know true soul satisfying joy, and instead calls us to shift our focus. So the question then is how do we do this, and what do we look like in response? If you're here and you are, are not a Christian and you are willing to truly admit your soul's dissatisfaction in your, uh, in your, in your expectation, the things of this world to bring you joy, man, I have good news. And we're going to talk about that from John chapter 1 here in just a moment. If you're here and you are a Christian, yet your soul is weary, again, I say that God's word has good news for us this morning. From John 1, again... We will see God's Word informing a perspective shift. We see God's Word pointing us toward the source of eternal, soul satisfying joy. Dependent not on our circumstances, but instead dependent on the person, work, and position of Jesus. So let's go, to, let's go to John 1. I want us to begin by exploring this idea, this concept, right that, that joy for the human soul is obtainable. And so if you're connecting heavily right, with, with this, this, this elementary, middle school perception that joy is, is not to be found, well then let's go to John 1 and let's see how God's word speaks to that. Look with me at verse 29. We're revisiting and we're connecting with a passage that we actually began uh, or concluded our time in last week, but we began studying last week. Listen to what God's Word says. Follow along with me. Verse 29. The next day he, being John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes the man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Verse 32, and John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Verse 34. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. beginning in verse 29, we see John the Beloved, disciple and the author of this gospel, making a case for the superiority of Jesus. Get that. That's important. Zone in on that. The superiority of Jesus. A superiority that John the Baptist, a notable character in John 1, himself affirms here as he contrasts baptism. What does he say? Well, he says that that John the Baptist baptizes with water. This is a a distinction that John himself recognizes and seems to articulate. Jesus, on the other hand, does what? Well, Jesus baptizes with the Spirit. Again, one well-known pastor draws out the importance of this distinction in a series of illustrations as he writes. Baptizing with the Spirit and baptizing with water is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. It's the difference between a person and a painting. Between a marriage and a ring. Between a birth and a birth certificate. There's a, there's a difference. There's a distinction. And that gap is indeed wide. Last week, Ben did an incredible job emphasizing John the Baptist's message. I am not the Messiah. But I am not the rescuer. I am merely one crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way. Like a a groomsman, pointing towards and supporting the groom and his bride. It is not about me, but it is all about him. There's There's a famous painting that does a great job of of depicting this for us, in which we observe Christ crucified in the center of the canvas. And to either side, there are are various other images that we can observe through the New Testament that seem to point towards this reality, even though it took place at a separate time. Here's what this looks like in the case of this particular painting. You see Christ crucified in, in the center, and to his left... You see John the Baptist, who is holding uh, the scriptures and and pointing to Christ on the cross. This is the message of John the Baptist. Ben did an incredible job drawing this out for us last week. John's message is, it's not about me, but it's all about him. The Old Testament makes plain that the Messiah would be empowered by the Spirit of God and that in this day the Spirit would be poured out on his people in a truly remarkable and incredible way. Allow me to read for you just a few passages from the prophet Isaiah. Listen to what he has to say. The distinction right, between, between John the Baptist and and Jesus, the superiority of Christ being drawn out. Why is this so important? Why is this infinitely important? Because we are seeking to make this connection with the person, work, and position of Jesus with our soul-satisfying joy. This is where we are, okay? And so we've got to embrace that. Remember, we, we towed the line in the beginning and we said... Amen. Experiential joy is indeed desirable. And due to my inability to find joy in the things of this world, I'm even willing to concede that it must be found in something or someone deeper than myself and that which I observe around me. We towed the line, we started there, and now we are running this and we're running this race. Now we need to be together in this idea, this concept, this truth, this reality affirmed in Scripture that Christ Jesus is the superior one who satisfies our deepest longings. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says beginning in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. The prophet writes this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Isaiah 42 verse 1 Behold my servant whom I uphold my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Isaiah 61 verse 6 The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. This is the same text that Jesus uses to speak of himself in Luke chapter 4. In each of these these instances, we see a foreshadowing to the one. We see a, a foreshadowing to Jesus. Identified by the Spirit and an audible affirmation of the Father as the one who would bring justice, as the one who would bring good news to an impoverished people, as the one who would bring good news to the marginalized and the spiritually bankrupt in this Christmas season and in every Season that follows, our hearts are to cry when we hear this message that this is the best news. The eternal Son of God came into the world not to judge us. Why? Because because we are already condemned, right? Like in our inability. To live faithfully and obediently. God's law and his instruction for his people. Do our rebellion and our hardness of heart. The eternal Son comes into the world not to judge us, but to take away our sin. God the Son, born of a virgin born in the likeness of human flesh, come to die in the place of sinners so that he might pour out the Spirit, baptizing us into his death while providing providing hope for life by way of the resurrection. May we never Grow tired of hearing this news, right? May, may we never grow tired of sharing this news. This point will become much more clear as we continue through this passage. May we never look to any other news to satisfy our hearts the way that this news is to satisfy our hearts, right? The way that this news encourages our hearts. The way that this news. Edifies our hearts. And when required, convicts our hearts. Jesus immerses us. He he baptizes us into his spirit to the glory of the Father as we are brought into union with him. Good news. Here it is. Okay? Joy is obtainable. Joy is. For your soul, deep, soul-satisfying joy is obtainable, made available through Christ, the free gift of the Spirit and friendship with God. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is with justice, and with righteousness from this time and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We observe in Christ Jesus the realized fulfillment of the prophecy of the coming Messiah in his person, which results in great joy. Accompanied by a really specific response. And so so here's where we are. Let's touch base for just a moment. Okay, where are we? Joy is obtainable. Joy is obtainable. It's it's knowable. Right? It's it's knowable in, in the person, and as we will come to find out in just a few moments, the position of Jesus. We see his superiority drawn out here in John chapter 1, and we recognize his superiority, right, in the world and in our hearts as the one who is able to solidify himself as the source of our joy and satisfaction. Let's continue on. Joy, here's our second point, second observation for all the note takers in the house. Joy, having been produced by the Spirit, leads to our daily observance of the beauty of Christ. Let me give you that one more time. Joy, having been produced by the Spirit, leads to our daily observance of the beauty of Christ. This is an idea that is, is, is bore witness to from John 1. Look with me at verse 38. Scene shift. Right, curtains dropped, pulled back up, and here we are. Jesus, uh, Jesus turned, and he saw them fo- following, and, and said to them, "We've got some individuals who are now following Jesus as a result of of John's statement. Behold, the Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world." And he says to them, "What are you seeking?" And They said to him, "Rabbi," which means teacher. Where are you? Staying. Now let's say this first, okay? Let's just acknowledge kind of what's going on here. This is going to prove to be really helpful in just a moment. We observe from verses, uh, verses 38 um, a curiosity around Jesus. We have a handful of guys who have a, a certain degree of curiosity concerning Jesus, but we must make this statement as we, as we observe what is taking place here curiosity around Jesus, but to come to curiosity about Jesus only to stop is not sufficient to experience the benefits that John the Baptist draws out in verse 29, identifying Jesus as the Lamb of God. If the story were to stop there, here's what we're saying. If the story were to stop there, you have a couple of guys who, who see Jesus and they call him rabbi, they ask him a question the story ceases there then then there is not this this representation of what is required to experience the soul satisfying joy that we were talking about this morning thankfully jesus is not content with our curiosity if you're here this morning and you go yeah i'm really curious as to you know who jesus is i find jesus super interesting here's what we're saying that like your your interest in jesus is not enough to save you. Okay? They're like your your curiosity concerning Jesus and his teaching is not enough to save you. We see that on display here in John chapter one. These men are indeed, in spite of their curiosity, taken captive by Christ. Despite their, their blindness of heart, these men are called by Christ, and we observe them following. Verse 39, he said to them, come and you will see. And so they come. They, they see, right, to a certain degree. There's a curiosity. But they will see so much more. Right? They, they, they see but they, they will see so much more. And as I was reading this story earlier this week, I was thinking about a particular passage that um, we read through, perhaps uh, maybe around a year ago, a little bit longer, um, as we were journeying through the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, there is this scene in which Jesus um, is, is traveling, and there is a, a blind man who is brought by his friends to like the edge of the street as Jesus is, is passing by, and they begin to, to cry out to Jesus. And Jesus comes and he he bends over and he touches the man's eyes. I'm paraphrasing kind of like what's going on here. He touches his eyes and he uh, kind of like, like backs away, and the man um, it begins to, I would imagine, like like blink, right? Like we kind of do when we wake up, you know, after like a deep night's sleep, and you wake up and you're like, oh Gosh, like what in the world happened, right? And he says, "Well, like I can see, but uh, I just see kind of like men who look like trees." So, which Jesus then goes goes back, right? And he he touches his eyes again, and kind of backs away, and he opens his eyes, and he sees he sees clearly, right? Like I was reminded of that as as we're working through John chapter 1 we see a few guys who, who see they recognize that Jesus is unique right that there is this certain curiosity about him but man Christ is faithful right to, to produce this this greater sight This greater realization that we observe as we continue through this passage. We see in John 1, verses 38 and 39, the calling of Christ that leads to a very specific response. Two men following Jesus. This is the way that it works. Christ calls, he draws, and we follow. The the Spirit of God causes blind eyes to see. To see what? Well, to see the the splendor of Christ, to see the majesty of Christ. There is a recognition followed by a reaction. Joy. A soul satisfying joy. We observe that the joy in Christ is. The byproduct that leads his people to daily by the power of the Spirit that we have been baptized into to choose joy. How do we see that when we continue on in the story? John writes, so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. I want us to say just a few things about about joy, this joy that we are called into, and then now how we as Christians are to respond, okay? So hang with me for just a moment, okay? We're called into this joy, we we realize in Christ Jesus and his majesty and his splendor and his glory, soul-satisfying joy that we so long for and desire, and then In response, we as God's people are to be about the work of choosing joy, electing joy. There's a a difference, right? There's a transformation that has taken place. Whereas before joy was linked with circumstance, it's now the after effect, the way in which The world and our place in it is understood. We understand by God's grace the person of Christ. We understand by God's grace the work of Christ. We understand by God's grace the benefit of Christ. And what it means for both our now as well as our future in this world as it currently exists and beyond. Listen to what the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay? Looking where? Well, the author of Hebrews answers that for us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now, currently, as we are gathered here in this room, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, Christ Jesus embraces the cross choosing right under understanding that there is a work to be accomplished that those even closest to Jesus could not believe even when they were told it we observe from Christ Jesus this this choosing of joy we observe from Christ Jesus this uh, this this choosing of obedience what can we say about the joy of Christ in light of what we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Well, we understand that His joy is our redemption. And our redemption redounds to God's glory. His joy is our redemption. And our redemption magnifies the glory of God. Do we understand how these two things work in correlation? It's not necessarily one or the other, but they're connected. We now as a result, as God's people, share the joy of Jesus, his exaltation at the right hand of the Father. And as a result, God gets all the glory. We need to get this. Okay, we need to we need to get this. Given that Christ Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Right, a truth that, that we embrace and cling to as defining of our faith. Given that, that Christ Jesus is resurrected from the dead and enthroned on high, given that the Father has and is being glorified through this reality and its work in the hearts of men, then it would serve to reason that our joy is now enthroned with him. I want you to imagine that. I want you to to see and understand your joy as being enthroned with and in Christ Jesus. It cannot be taken, it cannot be dictated by events around us, but instead it only grows deeper and wider as we look to and are drawn into this greater understanding and comprehension of the glory of the gospel. Do we get that? Right? Nothing in this world is capable of stealing the joy that resides within a Christian heart. Why? Well, because our joy is enthroned at the right hand of the Father. Okay? Like our joy is is fixed there, it is kept there. As a result, we we now choose to look to Christ. we, we, We look to Christ, we, we choose joy in Christ. We confess daily our need for the strength of the Spirit to see clearly, to see clearly the beauty of Jesus who is, as we are articulating right now, our joy. Christ Jesus is our joy. And so I don't want you to imagine it like this. I don't want you to imagine like Jesus as like Santa, okay, who's like, who's seated on a throne, right, and like has like gift bags, right, like gift bags just all around him, here's your joy, I got it, right, he is our joy, right, he is our joy. Does this mean that as people living in a broken and fallen world that we are unfamiliar with sadness, are we too? reject altogether sadness? Am I here, like, saying to you, like, be happy all the time? Like, smiles? Like, your joy is enthroned? Like, reject your emotion? Like, like maybe we need to have that conversation, but no, like, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, that's really creepy, okay? Like, that would be creepy. In fact, even now, in this season, that reminds us of our cause for Deepest joy, there ought to be in us a degree of sadness. You go, wait a second. Like, how do those two things exist together? How does how does joy and sadness coexist? I'm super confused now. In the season leading up to Advent, we were um, we were highlighting each Monday a series of resources that we were encouraging you um, to to like go through. Uh, in the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And one of those um, was a book from uh, Paul David Tripp called Come, Let Us Adore Him, a daily Advent uh, devotion. And I want to read um, from today's reading for just a moment. Because he does a great job at drawing out exactly what we are talking about here. How do our emotions and, and feelings as, as humans, who are incorporated with and experienced in, like parting? Right, who who observe around us like brokenness and injustice, who feel within us like the cause and the effects of 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 sin and rebellion. Like how do these things all coexist and how do we remain a joy-filled people in spite of in light of everything that we feel and and observe? Listen to what listen to what Tripp says. He says there's nothing wrong with shiny ornaments and bright lights. Right, your celebration of what Jesus willingly did for you should be a festival of overflowing. What's our word this morning? Joy. Amen. So, celebrate. right? Celebrate the blessings you've received. The best of those being the gift of Jesus. By passing that blessing on to others with gifts of love. Eat wonderful food. But let it remind you of the lavish spiritual food that God feeds you because of the willing sacrifice of his son Jesus. Here's what it means for you. Now commit yourselves this Christmas to be a sad celebration. Think about that for a second. Right? You're <laughs> here like, you're like, wait, like, a sad celebration. Let your joy and what your Savior has gifted you be mixed with grief at what it cost Him. Remember this Christmas that you are celebrating the birth of the Man of Sorrows. Remember as you celebrate that the one whom you celebrate enjoyed none of the things that likely make up your celebration. A house, beautiful things, fine food, etc. This Christmas may your holiday joy be shaped and colored by remembering that you have eternal reason for joy because of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of your Humble, willing, suffering Savior. Jesus came to suffer that we might know the joy of a relationship with Him. We now, as God's people, endure suffering, right? Identifying ourselves with Jesus an experience that we can embrace joyfully. Even in the midst of sorrow, even in the presence of sorrow, confident that our joy is secure, and that the Father is indeed working all things together for our good, that we are in our identification with Christ, in suffering, being conformed into his image. And that produces within us cause for great joy. I want to close with something super practical. And this is, um, as is most Sundays, the, the shortest. Okay? So listen quickly, because it will be gone in just a second. Joy in Christ produces a, a new desire to bring others to Christ. That they might know the same joy. Look with me at verse 40. This is what John writes. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Now think about the transformation that's taken place, right? Like eyes have been opened to observe the splendor of Christ. He is no longer, he is no longer identified as, as a teacher but he is recognized as the long-awaited Messiah. Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I heard a quote from a man named Tavidion Awele, a number of years ago, and for those of you who have been hanging around me for any length of time, you know exactly what this quote is, because I I share it often. Tabidi said this, um, that the call to repentance is a call to your ultimate joy. Here we observe the recognition of this truth, this reality, from the individuals within this story. Right, we see that this, this realization of true soul-satisfying joy in Christ, experienced in Christ by a work of the Spirit, and God's great grace produces within each one of us who, who know him, this desire to see others come to know this same soul-satisfying joy. Does that make sense? The first step here was to go to a brother and to say, we have found him. He's he's here. We have have waited. We have been anticipating. We have been looking for, and now he has arrived. Come with me that you might know the same soul-satisfying joy that I am experiencing. The call to repentance is a call to your ultimate joy. I think that there's something to be said in verses 40, 41, and 42 that shapes our understanding of what personal evangelism looks like. Right? Personal evangelism is not a product of the 70s, okay? dreamt up in the fellowship hall of some rural Baptist church. Instead, it is the call of God upon the lives of his set-apart people. We observe it in the Old Testament, a priesthood of saints. It's modeled by Christ from the manger to the first days of his ministry. We see this in Mark's gospel yet again as John is baptized, as Jesus is baptized by John, driven into the wilderness, where he uh, withstands the temptation of the enemy before surfacing, announcing the rival of the kingdom with a most clear articulation and call to repent. Right? Jesus calls us to joy. How does he do that? Well, he calls us to, to turn from our sin right, and to trust in him. And in doing so, to know this truly lasting experience of joy, right? As a result, for those of us who have been called into this fellowship with God, we are now experiencing its benefits despite the difficulties of this world, understanding its goodness increasingly more and more and more and more as we grow in our awareness and understanding of, of the person, work, and position enthroned on high of Christ Jesus, which leads us to What? Go and tell other people. There's there's no denying. right? We we see it and we observe it here this morning. We know joy. And as a result, there is this this desire that others would know this same joy. That their their eyes would be opened by a work of grace, the Spirit of God. Calls our hearts unto repentance, who makes us alive in him and with him as we identify with his death. Man, it is such an incredible and, and beautiful and beautiful picture. Jesus calls us to joy and, and brings us depth as we Grow in an understanding. Our response then clearly is John 1, 40 through forty two to go and to get, to call and to bring. And so I want us to to close here. I want us to close with just a few like bullet points, okay? And it's going to be a call to see. All right. So so make note of these things. And these are the truths that we are to consider as we approach the table this morning. This, this actual, like, visual representation of all that we are talking about this morning. The bread of life, entrance into the world. His broken body upon the cross. His shed blood for the forgiveness of our sin. I mean, we, this is cause for joy. This is cause for sorrow. And this is cause for joy. We see it. And so as we come to the table this morning... I want you to think about these four things. I want you to see these four things. I want you to to see your need for joy. Acknowledging your need for joy. I want you to see the source of joy, which is our King. right? Our eternal King, crucified for our forgiveness and resurrected back to life. I want you to see your need for joy. I want you to see the source of joy. I want you to submit to the call resulting in joy, belief, faith. Then I want you to, to share joy. I want you to share joy. We have ample opportunity this Christmas season. We've already talked about awkward family conversations around the table that we are all at this point super stoked about. Ample opportunity to share the hope of the gospel with family and with friends. And so let's lean into and let's embrace this reality. Thankful to God for the joy that we now know. So our eyes are open to see the glory of Christ by, indeed, a most miraculous work of the Spirit. Hey, let's pray.